Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Welcome, everyone. So glad you're tuning in today, which is July 28th, 2021. It's going to be a wonderful show. It's going to be so enlightening. We have with us Ray Perkins, and he is going to talk to us about all the patents that that he holds about his basically his life story up till now and how everything that he is doing impacts us one way or the the other, Uh, whether it's, um, you know, water pollution or it's the way we grow our foods and how those are impacting our environment. We're going to talk about it all. Welcome, Ray. Well, thank you, Denise. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get on the path that you're on today? Where did it all start? How did it evolve? Uh, um, It started when I was about six years old, looking under my mother's sink and mixing stuff together and seeing what it would do, whether it would turn into a slime that I played with or start a fire or uh, unclog a drain or do something. Uh, So I've always been, you know, kind of an experimental type of, um, you know, innovator and and entrepreneur and uh, inventor. So I've always invented stuff and grew up in Florida um, doing things that typical kids down here do, which is, you know, you blow up tree stumps and you do all those things with with chemicals. And um, so just always grew up inventing on the, I was here and grew up around the water on the east coast of Florida. Um, Got hooked up with a chemical company when I was came out of college and worked for them for about seven years and decided that I wanted to do some things on my own. So I've been uh, my own business for about 30, a little over 30 years, um, been around the chemical business and the fertilizer business for 20. So just uh, kind of grew up around the business doing stuff. It's always interested me and, you know, it's it's fun for me to to do all these innovative, cool things. Did you have a, a mentor that got you started in your uh, on your path in your own business? Um, no, not so much. I think you know my path was started by um, you know my personality. I was not really built for the corporate world. Um, you know, I, I saw enough of it. I worked for a, a multi-billion-dollar German uh, chemical distributor that covered many industries: the food industry. Um, personal care industry, and it just uh, it wasn't for me. It was a little too rigid, um, a little bit, um, I would say, too cookie-cutter, worried about return on investment. Uh, it didn't allow me the freedoms that I really, you know, liked and uh, found out, in the, you know, when I, after I left them that I, I really did, you know, I more than liked it. I loved it. So, um, 
you know, that's kind of my, my background in, in business. An entrepreneur at heart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, adventurous heart, you know. Um, just always, you know, from the time I was six years old, you know, what if what if I combine these two things, what are they going to do? You know, might be good, might be <laughs> bad, but they're going to do something. <laughs> That's so funny. What did you take in college? Were you a chemistry, uh, I, engineering, or what? No, I have 12 hours of chemistry, but uh took a little too oh. long in the lab. I was uh I spent my time um mostly goofing off. Um <laughs> but I ended up with a a degree in uh international business. Um uh, but I oh. did, you know, I had the 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 chemistry background, so I was able to secure a job with a chemical distributor and um you know, lived all over the country, Kansas City, Charlotte, um Tampa, Miami. Um, so I've been all wow. over the country with, with that business. And then uh, North Carolina, kind of settled up in North Carolina. And um, my last corporate job, where I met a gentleman there that had kind of the same spirit. So we ended up uh, experimenting on some of these things together and coming up with several inventions that have now turned into 40 worldwide patents. So what is your pride and joy? Uh, my pride and joy is my family, spending time with my family. Uh, uh-huh. As far as the business business standpoint, I think you know I'm really proud of the fact that uh, of what we've done here. The uh, it's an it's an interesting business. Uh, sounds kind of uh, kind of boring when you first think of fertilizers, and we are in the fertilizer additives business. But there's uh, in the world there's about 190 million tons of fertilizer sold every year, and about half of this is lost to the environment. Um, so we make fertilizer more efficient by keeping it in a form that the plant can take as opposed to losing it into the groundwater or volatizing. So, you know, we're doing something that's, you know, making the planet cleaner, number one. Uh, number two, uh, you know, it makes, you know, food lands more productive. Um, we're, we're, we're growing as a, as a, you know, the population, the world population is growing, but the bigger, bigger impact than just the population growth is the changing uh, diets. So uh-huh. we have to grow more food to grow the animals that, that we eat. So higher protein diets um, are, are a big factor in us are having to grow more food. Um, and the, the fact is, you know, that 19% of the world's land is tillable, uh, and it's going to be that way, you know, forever. Um, you know, you're never going to get more than 19% of our world, you know, land is tillable. So we have to be more productive with our food chain. Uh, and, uh, and fertilizers are, are probably the largest way to do that. Do you have uh, any information currently on how food production is going, specifically in the U.S.? Um, there's, you know, food, food production has been uh, fairly steady growth. Um, the the, the Chain has changed, I guess. The, the, the actual distribution chain for, chain for food has changed. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, inefficiency in the inputs. So you have a lot of uh, high-tech farming now with drone farming, um, with, you know, efficiency farming where they, you know, right place, right time, and everything is, you know, very scientific in farming now. So these guys used to go out and, you know, you don't, you don't get people plowing behind a, a horse anymore. You get these people out there with their GPS and their, you know, $400,000 combine that, you know, are, are planting or, or harvesting or doing something. So uh, we, we are more productive, but we are also wasting more. Um, so, uh-huh. 
you know, a lot a lot of these inputs are ending up in in our environment. Well, concerning the weather conditions that we've had across the U.S., I've I've read across certain articles. I can't quite understand the impact that the weather has had on our crops overall. Are we in a good place or are we not in a good place? Um, we're not really in a good place. Um, the weather has, you know, obviously has a huge impact, but um, for instance, I'll give you, when you put a, a urea fertilizer for nitrogen out, these plants, you know, we'll, we'll use corn, for example. It needs okay. a certain amount of, in, of, of nitrogen, of phosphate, and of potassium to grow and maximize its yield of, you know, however many bushels per acre. So when you get unprotected fertilizer out there and it rains and it washes out and it washes into our waterways, number one, people have to pay their cities to treat that nitrate that's in the water. Uh, but number two, it, it, it never makes its way to the plant. So you either have to reapply fertilizer or you overapply in the first place, and that gets washed into, you know, the, into the environment. But these crops, if, if you know, you – you you have to be able to protect and almost have an insurance policy against the weather. So a lot of these efficiency products, such as what we sell, uh, can protect against the rain or, you know, seven to ten days of dry weather. So um, unfortunately, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, and this is the, uh, you know, probably the big point to get to, you know, thus far, is that these fertilizer companies, they don't really mind when fertilizer washes off into the groundwater or washes off into your rivers or washes off into you know, wherever your water ends up because they get to sell it again because you either have to buy more in the first place and over-apply fertilizer or if it gets washed away, you have to apply it again, which means for them twice the profit, twice the revenue. So they, they kind of like it when the uh, fertilizer washes into the environment. So uh, oh, it's been a fight to – so these efficiency products are, are a fight to, to get to market, definitely. Huh. How do they work? Well, um, very easily. Um, you tumble them or you spray them onto raw urea primarily or uh, fertilizer. You spray them onto the fertilizer, and what they do is they keep the nitrogen in a form called the ammonium form that allows the uh, the plant to take it up instead of it turning to a gas and going off into the ozone. Uh, if you get rain, then it keeps it from going uh, off into the environment as a nitrate and leaching through the soil. So you have more problems in sandy soils than you do in, in clay soils, but um, that's how it's lost, and that's how you keep it. You actually keep it in a form that the plant can uptake instead of um, in a form that is going to volatilize into the atmosphere or leach into the waterways. So how much of the marketplace do you have? Um, we, we're a small player. Um, the industry is about 15% adopted um, worldwide. It's probably, you know, about 8% in the U.S., and that's because that's a, a comfortable number for people. A lot of these fertilizer companies can say, yeah, yeah, you know, look at us. We care about the environment. We're using efficiency fertilizers. Uh, they don't really want it to be 100% adoption um, because if it's 100% adoption, you know, that's going to cut into, you know, 50 per, up to 50% of their urea or nitrogen sales. So they don't want full adoption. They want enough to where they can go, look at us, look at us, we're doing the right thing. So uh, um, there's about, you know, to put it, you can put it this way, there's about 70 million tons of, of nitrogen sold in the U.S. every year, and half of it's lost to the environment. 
Jeez. That's huge. Yeah, it's it's a monster issue. And, you know, like I say, a lot of people look at fertilizer and go, well, this isn't the, you know, it's not a real glamorous business, but it is, uh, you know, it, it's vitally important to feeding the planet. It's vitally important to our environment. Um, and, you know, there's better ways of doing this and there's more efficient ways of doing this. It's just the incentive isn't there. How many insects does it take out as well? I'm sorry? How many insects insects um, does it take out as well? Well, you know, we're not really into the, you know, insecticides or pesticides. We're more about, um, you know, the production and the crop inputs to grow crops better, stronger, um, so, but, you know, there is a sundry benefit with a healthier plant, which is they're less likely to, you know, infestation. So um, there is a, that side benefit, but it's not directly towards killing a pest. Well, I was just thinking in terms of because you're saying that um, so much of it gets washed away, the fertilizer gets washed away, it's taking, it's taking probably the good insects with it. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, you know, I give you an example of what we're going through down here in Florida. You know, these yeah. nutrients, they're food. They're food, you know, whether it's food for a plant or food for something. So we have a, a major problem down here in Florida, very sandy soils, high phosphate, and we had a spill down here uh, called Piney Point, um, and we also have nitrogen-rich, uh, you, you know, nutrients, uh, fertilizers, leaching into the soil, moving very quickly through these sandy soils. Well, they ended up in the bay. And these nutrients feed algae, an algae called K. brevis. And this K. brevis actually chokes out all the oxygen and results in red tides and fish kills. And, you know, for your listeners, you can Google the Tampa Bay red tides. It's as bad as it's been in 50 years uh, and keeps getting worse. So, you know, that's the, the result of some of these, you know, things leaching out. So not only does it kill and take good insects with it, yes, it does do that, but it also feeds these algae blooms, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a toxic algae like K. brevis, uh, you know, a green, a blue-green algae, which, um, you know, we've started to see uh, some very, very, very bad things happening with blue-green algaes, you know, in, in waterways where they're shifting to freshwater, where you're getting cyanotoxins into freshwater, which is a very, very bad thing. So, um, you know, we're not headed for a good place, you know, because of the, the fertilizer runoff. Um, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. Ah, uh, sad. You know, it's surprising when you talk about the environment and how, you know, they want us to reduce the, green, uh, the, the gas emissions, you know, with the vehicles, et cetera, but there's not a whole lot of attention to this. Well, there's a lot of, you know, having been in this business for 20 years and fought the, the patent battle for the last, you know, 10 uh, there's a lot of unintended consequences of decisions or hoodwinks, you know, depending on, on your paradigm and how you look at them. But, um, you know, I'll use the instance down here in Florida. We we have a ban from May through, I believe it's October, where we cannot put, uh, you know, fertilizer on our lawns because, you know, it's the rainy season and blah, 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 blah. blah. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, you know, it feels good. Everybody feels good about it, you know. Uh, you see things on, on social media about, you know, pick up, you know, your dog waste and this and that, which, you know, you, you should, but it doesn't really amount to anything. So all of this um, fertilizer, residential fertilizer ban, 
you know, you could take an entire year of fertilizer in Florida and it equals one day of what equal what runs off of a commercial farm. So it feels good and, and everybody can beat their chest about it, but the Im- the true impact is not great. Uh, wow. <laughs> That's craziness. Yeah, it's depressing sometimes. <laughs> Sorry to depress all your listeners. Oh, la, 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 la. So what else did you want to talk about in terms of uh, what you're doing? Well, um, you know, one of the things that, that I wanted to, you know, really – touch on here is the the system and why these things are um, problematic and and try to shed a little bit of light on how um, how these things are handled behind the scenes and what people do to kind of cover this whole situation up and make it you know too complex to understand I'd like to kind of uncomplex it a little bit um, oh please do please and I'll do. you know for for our purposes you know you've heard me talk a little bit about fertilizer so um, these large corporations, uh, they either, you know, want these things shelved or they want them for themselves. So um, the patent process has become a business tool uh, and has been weaponized. Um, and it was weaponized through the America Invents Act of 2011. And not a lot of people, you know, paid attention or cared, uh, but there was either unintended consequences or a hoodwink. Um, this American, Inve- America Invents Act, uh, what it did is it formed a tribunal uh, called PTAB, the Patent Trial and Appeals Board. And what this did is it assigned three judges and gave them the power over billions and billions of dollars of, of commerce um, where they could invalidate patents. So three judges can invalidate patents um, and, and, you know, all of a sudden your protections are gone. So um, and what, the reason they do this is because large corporations use it as a business tool. So now they will make small tweaks to really, you know, disruptive, um, valuable patents. They'll make small tweaks, invalidate the other patent, and then own their own patent. So it's patent theft, um, but it's, you know, weaponized and legalized by the America Invents Act. So it's a way for these corporations to, you know, steal patents, steal technologies, block patents, uh, and do it through a, a process that the government set up. Oh, so, my gosh. I had no idea. Yeah. It's um, the American Invents Act of 2011. It was uh, implemented by Michelle Lee, who's, uh, you know, from, from California and worked for Google, um, came into the patent office, had a lot of Google, ex-Google employees and patent officers and patent attorneys who became judges, PTAB judges, invalidated patents that Google wanted invalidated or Apple or, you know, a lot of the high-tech, you know, power brokers uh, invalidated those. And then Michelle Lee left and went back to work for Google, which is the same thing that a lot of these patent judges do. Um, And these patent judges, the system was set up, these patent judges are incentivized. They're actually given bonuses, believe it or not, to invalidate patents. So it has totally... Um, totally just disincentivized an, an entire generation of inventors. It's the lost generation of inventors. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of your listeners are, are you know, interested in, in a lot of the health things. But, I mean, one of the interesting stories, if you, you can go to usinventor.org and look at some of the inventors and some of the inventions. But uh-huh. one of the things I think your listeners will find interesting is the story of Dr. Stephen LaBeouf. Um, 
he invented um, you know this cool device back in the early 90s and you could actually put it on your body and you could put make it a watch or whatever and it would measure your blood pressure and your heart rate and all what these was cool his last things name? well What's Stephen LaBeouf uh, LaBeouf LaBeouf L E B O yeah L E B O U E F F I believe it is uh he's a Cajun from down in Louisiana lives in North Carolina now but um, you know, one of the, the one of the interesting stories, uh, you know, invented biometrics. Um, of course, he was PTAB, we call PTAB, by none other than, than Apple. And, you know, he's he's the real inventor of the Apple Watch. Um, but, you know, he was PTAB, and they basically stole it from him. Another interesting story, um, a really cool story that you can see at usinventor.org is, uh, is Tisha Thomas. Um, Tisha had an issue. She had a, a, a sweet little girl, um, had an issue with her pet rabbit chewing through her zippers. So the U.S. military had tried for years and years for to have a waterproof zipper that would zip inside and out and had certain things that it wanted, you know, in a military high-grade durable zipper. Well, Tisha invented that um, because her pet rabbit chewed through her zipper. So, you know, she was PTAB by the U.S. government. Um Gene Luma um, was tired of the grass, you know, dying around his septic tank and all of this and tired of his daughter's hair clogging up his drain. So he invented what's called the zip it, which was a flexible tube with spikes that you could put down any drain and it would pull up the hair and unclog it without the chemicals and probably save millions and millions of pounds of chemicals from going off into the environment. But of course he lost his during a PTAB. So, you know, if you have any, if you're an inventor anywhere in the world and, and you're thinking about inventing in the U.S. or patenting in the U.S., uh, my advice would be don't. Um, you know, if you have anything valuable, then it's going to be stolen from you. Um, and if you don't have anything of, of value, you can always face a PTAB. And the interesting thing about these PTAB trials are that it's $400,000 minimum. The average is 425000 That's what the surveys say. Um, ours cost about 700000 um, you go through these trials and you don't win anything. You don't win infringement. You don't win royalties. You don't win anything. The only, there's only a bad uh, outcome for you, and you have to spend five, you know, five hundred thousand dollars or so to do that. So if you have an infringer, that's what they're going to do. And wow. after you, even if you know, eighty-four percent of these cases. Um, and, and let me explain a little bit about the patent process. Go backwards a little bit, but you go okay. through. Uh, if if you have an idea, you have this really cool idea that you think you want to patent. You think of it, you write your, your specification, you submit the patent application. About 52% of those applications end up and result in a patent. And you have to go through a three- to five-year grueling process where they uncover everything and challenge you. And you go through this five-year process, you get a patent, and then this PTAB overturns 84% of those patents. Those are the numbers. 84% of those people who get patents end up getting overturned. So um, when you go through this PTAB process, over, you spend and five and when you And when you say that they're overturned, does that mean that they're basically stolen? Uh, they're invalidated. And what these companies will do is they will, you know, get these patents that are blocking them invalidated, and they will make a, sm a small twist. Like they can throw an ice cube in something, and that's a twist that allows them to get a patent um, because it's different than thing. what your art was. So basically the same thing, yes. But they've invalidated yours, and they will get their patent, and they will use it. That's how they steal it. So um, 
Well, they're, they're in cahoots a, with the judge. They're in cahoots with the judges. The judges basically, because, like you said, they're the ones who invalidate, so they can also validate if there's enough money involved. Right, but the you know these judges are paid by the the U.S. government to invalidate. I mean, they get a bonus every time they invalidate. So oh. you know, they're 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 incentivized to invalidate but a lot of these i'll give you for instance here and, and not to get political because it's this is one of those politically agnostic or bipartisan issues but i'll give you an example down here in florida uh, one of the largest polluters is is a company called fadjul farms there are cuban refugees who donate heavily to marco rubio so every time they file a p-tab or some or behind some kind of p-tab action you know, it, it, it somehow invalidates a patent that gets out of their way. So same thing with, with the other side of the aisle. We have a representative down here, Charlie Crist, who was warned about red tide for four years, but uh, he has a large phosphate manufacturer who is one of his largest donors. So uh, it's not just corporations. They The corporations have to have a tool to, sure. uh, you know, to move mountains. And the tool to move mountains is, you know, their, their representatives here that they're giving money to. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, Yeah, it is unfortunate. But, you know, I guess the the real or another um, issue here would be, you know, think of the things that are not being, you know, invented. You know, it's always easy to have something and loss. You know, I say easy. It's easy to account for a loss when you have something. But uh-huh. the lost opportunity, the lost opportunity is something we can't account for. This lost generation of inventors. I mean, who out there would have cured, you know, Alzheimer's or, uh, you know, invented uh, something that would have made food more productive, lowered your cornflake prices a dollar a box? You know, who would have invented the, the cure for cancer? Um, you know, what are we missing because the U.S. government has disincentivized to this degree? Uh, you know, invention. Um, we're going to be caught and passed. We, we, you know, we will be caught, you know, passed by China. Um, well, it, it's, it's from just what I understand, they, they take, they, they get a lot of our stuff, you know. All the hard work was done um, here, and then they managed to obtain it one way or another. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to be, be an apologist for other countries, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, the, the absolute fact of the matter is, China introduced legislation um, on patents where you would get an answer if you had one of these, you know, challenges within six months. Um, and you also get what's called injunctive relief. Injunctive relief being that, you know, you can tell the company, no, you're, you know, you're not selling this product. So uh-huh. um, here, these companies, part of the problem is that these companies, when they go and invalidate companies, even if they lose, even if they lose in federal court, you sue them for infringement, they know that what they're going to get is a royalty deal that the courts will say, you know, assign a, a, a reasonable royalty. So, you know, they, they, they have nothing to lose. Um, and yeah. and it's, it's financed by the small, small inventor who has to pay all along the way and ends up paying, you know, a million bucks for, you know, for you to take a license. That's a tremendous amount of money. So uh, you're, you're saying that you basically lost one of your patents as a result? Yes, we did. We lost uh, through a post-grant review. We were lucky enough to have continuation patents and had a patent portfolio. The the only patent value is when you have a portfolio and you have a significant number of patents. Then, you know, 
then they're going to spend, you know, to challenge each one, they're going to spend, you know, seven, eight, nine million, ten million, however many millions of dollars to challenge them. But we were lucky but enough. These, to but these were a, obtained. These 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 were obtained long ago. Yes, our patents were go back as far as 2013. So we still have a life a lifespan on these patents. So, you know, people want to use them. So we were able to take a license on on the challenger. The petitioner did end up taking a license. Uh huh. Interesting. But even if you know, even if we would have you know won the second action, at the end of the day, you know, we we wouldn't have won anything. You know, we would have won yeah. the right to keep our patent and spent you know half a million dollars to do it. And if they were infringing, um, then we would have had to take them to you know federal court, spend another half a million dollars, and in the end, the federal court would say, well, okay, you're right these people have to pay you a reasonable royalty. So there's no incentive for them to not, you know, use this process and that's the way it was set up. And so that all changed when we were discussing earlier when it, yes, it was when it, the, the, got, when it got weaponized. It happened how many years ago? It was uh, the 2011. It was implemented, in, I believe, in 2013. But it was, uh, you know, known as the to the America Invents Act um, under the Obama administration, and it was um, the patent system had worked fairly well um, up through that point in time. So, you know, I. So it's the uh, American it, what? To, uh, it's called the America Invents Act. America it's the Invents Leahy, Act. Yeah. Okay, yeah. gotcha. I just wanted to make sure I had it right. And, yeah. So wow, it was uh, you know, that's, wow, wow. Oh, a lot of stuff happened in 211. Yeah, it's uh you know, that's when the the patent system really got weaponized. Um you see you know, our group, you just you see inventors who are just, you know, they're they're leaning a lot on trade secrets. Um uh-huh. you know, for in, for instance, I'll give you another for instance of how this affects the system. But, you know, we have, you know, future patents, some are, are quite significant in cleaning up waste and wastewater and what we call uh-huh. phosphogypsum stacks. So, you know, could clean up a lot of pollution and we will not patent it um, because we know that our best day is that we're going to spend, you know, a million dollars and, and it's going to be, end up in PTAB and we would have an 84% chance of being invalidated. So we know that if we patent it, we have no chance of winning. We have no chance of getting a return on, on our time or investment. So we will okay. keep it as a trade secret. We will keep it as a trade yeah. secret. And being a small company, our chances we estimate of successfully marketing this and successfully selling this and realizing a return on it are somewhere around, you know, 2 to 4%. Um, and, you know, as a trade secret, it will likely die on the vine with, you know, the company as the company goes away. So, um but we're not going to do it because the the downside is just too significant. You know, it affects your health, it affects your family life, it affects your life, and you know you pay a million dollars to 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 have that. So the privilege. Uh, it's just not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not worth it. So you know, how many inventions, you know, how many things are out there that that people will not share, rightfully so because of the system yeah. that, you know, was put in place in 2011 with the America Invents Act. And it's hard for me to believe that, you know, the, that, that these people went forward knowing 
that these were this was going to be the result of it. So um, it's just it's so impactful. I mean, billions and billions of dollars of commerce, people's health, you know, quality of life. Uh, innovation drives out costs. You know, um, disruptive technologies drive out costs. So yeah, you know, are, what are you paying too much for? You know, is there a a more efficient, you know, gasoline additive out there that's going to give you 20 more miles to the gallon, you know, maybe, but it'll never uh-huh. be invented because there's no incentive for an inventor to do that. Right. Well, fascinating information, Ray. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I, uh, you know, did I, anything else I can go over or? No, I think, I think you've pretty much covered everything. It's pretty fascinating and, I'm hopeful that down the road something will change for the better, you know, and that uh, what it is that you do can impact our environment and our health in a more substantial way. Yeah, it's, you know, again, you know, we're, you can go to usinventor.org, sign the inventor resolution, talk about this at cocktail parties and, and barbecues and picnics and, you know, just spread the word that, you know, what's being not just stolen from inventors, but, you know, the quality of life that's being stolen from people because of this process. Well, I'm really glad that you brought it all to our attention. Our listeners will definitely do that. I will go there myself. And let's see if we can't make so, some kind of a positive change in this world. Well, you know, it would certainly be appreciated. And, you know, it's, uh, again, you know, it's, um it's for the people, you know. It really is. That's what, you know. That's small inventors typically try to solve problems. Corporate inventors try to sell product. So yeah, you know, these small inventors are out there trying to solve problems. That's what they're driven by, and you know, that's uh, you know, these people, you know, not just me, but uh, you know, a ton of these inventors and people who are trying to make pe- other people's lives better. They deserve to be heard, and they don't deserve, you know, they don't want or need a any benefit from the process. They just want it to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I get you on that. Well, thank you, Ray Perkins. Really enjoyed talking with you. You were very informative. And listeners, please go to that website. Say it again, Ray. USinventor.org. USinventor.org. And uh, sign that petition. I appreciate well, take it. Take care, you Ray. So bye bye. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. That wraps up our show for today. I want you all to be well and listen in next week. Until then, bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at KnowledgeWorksPub.com. Be sure to visit GotCancerNowWhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? <laughs>